Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello, hello, hello! And welcome, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And if you're watching the video feed, you already see the two guests that we have for this week's episode. That's right. It is 2022. And this is the first guest episode we have of the year. And so, all right, let me introduce, uh, as I am looking at them, here we go. Uh, We are the one of the originators of our video, uh, the video element of our podcast, one of the first people we ever did a collab with, Dr. Maz Mary. How you doing, Maz? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. We're so happy to have you. You really classed the joint up. Um, (laughs) We uh, have a legit... But to balance out the classiness, we have uh, one of my one of my best friends. Yeah, from the left said, end of the bell curve. <laughs> uh, well, I'm trying to. What, what did we talk? What we were, did we talk about Star Wars or was it yeah. sci-fi? Yeah, and stuff? we talked and, about uh, late oh, '70s, early '80s Disney too. With yeah. that's right yeah, yes and the black cauldron which i had in my possession for way too long i can't remember um, who, I, who, who what we called that one but that he he was an integral part of that his be- yes. black cauldron take alone yes was... <laughs> <laughs> all right welcome brian grossland how are you my friend yeah we're so happy you're here well, how are you doing well good how are you guys good good um so uh welcome you guys and uh we this is uh this is a show that we've had in the making for a while um and what i can't remember who's i mean i the the genesis of this idea uh kind of came organically out of a chat i think it started with brian we were talking about you know like hey we brian we want you back on uh what can we talk about and um and then we just kind of started listing movies that might be fun to talk about. And sort of the theme arose from that, didn't it? Am I remembering that correct? Kind of. Yeah. We had a hard time putting the show together because we didn't have a theme attached to it. So it, it it's a cool idea, right? Can we just mm-hmm. tell people the idea while we're talking about oh, it? That- okay. So, well, I mean, I think it started with the uh the kinds of movies that we're going to be talking about and then it kind of got expanded to the we're we're calling this the dad movies yeah uh conversation this is movies that and this show is a very specific segment of yeah yeah this is yeah this is those movies that we as we were growing up like on a saturday afternoon and you're flipping through the channels and all of a sudden they're like oh hey let's say this is a movie i remember oh we got to watch this one um and very specifically 
we are going to be talking about World War II war movies. Mission um, movies. Mission, like, yeah, mission, mission movies. movies. To get really right, specific, even. these are... Yeah. With, with you know, more or less, they're all mission movies. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, these were, like, for me personally, it was, uh, you know, like, on a Saturday uh, early afternoon, uh, like, on Channel 9, flipping through uh, the, the channels, and all of a sudden, my dad would go, oh, get, but Patton's on. We're going to watch, let's watch Patton. Channel Nine with the uh, Alan Parsons project playing between the commercials. Absolutely, yeah, from uh, iRobot. The uh, that's right. Well album. done. Well um, done. Yeah, and uh, so uh, yeah, and and so these are the movies that yeah you just sit and watch with uh, with your with your you know with your dad and you swap story. You know they that weird bonding that occurs over war movies, and uh, and boy, there are many. Yeah, there were a lot to choose from. We got a pretty good group here. We should probably start talking about them because there's yeah, let's four of let's us jump and right six in. of them and yeah. Um, but I guess so, before yeah. that, do you guys have specific memories? I'm sorry, Joel. Joel's trying to do the show, and I'm like, wait, let's do it this way. Um, yeah. I mean, because I, I the shows I used to watch with my with my dad specifically, dad on the couch. Because one of these, and I'll, we'll get to it when we get to it, where I just was like, I was watched the whole thing, and I just, he had to explain the entire thing to me, because these films were a little bit weird. I remember, uh, Dr. Mary, when you were on the show, you talked about specifically this phenomena of, of your, your dad loving different types of stories, and how that drew you in, and that, that your love of movies. You're not a big cinemaphile, but you're a huge movie fan, which is kind of what yeah. we are as well. Um it it that you know looking up to your dad and wanting to get into what he was into even if you even if you couldn't and how you grew with those stories as you sort of grew up and matured and kind of understood them better that yeah. was my experience completely we talked yeah, about yeah go ahead no it's mine mine too exactly yeah you know um you, you watch these complex movies and you think i don't understand this and then he's explaining it to you and you think my dad's a genius. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Not knowing he's seen this film like 30 times and could probably recite it. <laughs> right, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And of course, one of those movies. Zardoz speaks to you. Zardoz is Zardoz. a horror movie yeah. of a certain kind, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah. take a lot of explaining i'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the Z zardoz is a is a light watch on a saturday afternoon it's cool they're uh, still trying to explain zardoz even the people who wrote it can't explain it that's <laughs> that's a special kind of story <laughs> uh now brian you grew you grew up in the dc area didn't you yeah yes, yeah did. so uh so you know i i would guess that i, I maybe I, mean, I don't know did it did watching these war movies in the nation's capital did was that something that even registered well it did because you know a lot of the films especially in the 70s and eight or late 70s early 80s even part of the 60s like the ones that my dad really liked were all very american centric right America is the savior of you of the war in Europe and the British are off to the side. It's like, what? No, like it, it took a while for me to understand historically that that was not the viewpoint, right? That 
um, America played a very late part in the war, um, <laughs> but not the, the films didn't say that. My dad didn't say that. People in Washington D.C. didn't say that. They're like America's greatest thing ever, like because that that's how you viewed things when growing up in that area. So there mm-hmm. were a lot of these films that that when we watched them, um, I did need the explanation like Maz has, you know, where you're like, wow, Dad really knows a, you know a ton of stuff, <laughs> and then some of it you find out is Dad doesn't know everything, right? <laughs> <There's> a... <laughs> it's part of growing up. Yeah, yep. exactly. And sometimes Dad got a view, skewed view of history um, a little bit. But something that you know, like my dad had, was an interest of not only the perspective of you know the American side, but also the the opposite side, the Axis side. So there were films that, you know, he'd watch, you know, that had to do with the Germans or the Japanese. And it's like, oh, this is an interesting, you know, perspective. And he was a big war gamer. He was a big, that's how I got my love of war gaming was all the war games he has. I still have some of his old ones upstairs um, and building plastic models. And he had a ton of plastic model equipment that was just, most of it was German armor. And German, and I was like, why are you so fascinated with this? He's like, oh, I was the best on the battlefield, blah, 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 blah. And to understand that and like look back in history and be like, yeah, the time period, that was some of the best on the battlefield. Mm. And they still got their butts kicked. <laughs> like just goes to show that the great, the best technology doesn't necessarily win the day, right? Um, so yeah, there were interesting perspectives in the DC mm. area. There's a lot of respect for... Um, especially the weird respect for the germans in washington dc weird yeah um and of course by by war games you mean like uh taking an old pc and hacking into the defense department oh yeah absolutely Uh, like yeah trying to start world war three with a chess yeah no no. yeah i'm assuming i'm I'm assuming yeah i think i I think i speak for all of our audience when we're going yeah that just that makes perfect sense that's what you do on a saturday afternoon is, for the older uh, generation i'm talking the chit and uh avalon hill chit based games so nice and, and cricket cool. across the internet i was like what yeah i was gonna say there's <laughs> right now there's like there's like three of our listeners going Woo-hoo! yeah, yeah! Exactly. oh my god he just made everyone else is googling the shit out of all of it (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) by three of our listeners he means one of our listeners with multiple personality disorder too that's true there's that nevertheless you just if you connect with just one person brian that's the important thing yeah even if it's myself indeed (laughs) sometimes that's the most important person Uh, so uh yeah (laughs) you got anything on that front joel uh well no i mean i i mean it was mine is mine is very much the same it's it's these you know it's that it's you know the the 70s and 80s were a very you know specific time in movie making and in telling war stories um uh, i think uh one of the things that well we'll talk about this as we're we're getting into uh as we get into these movies um obviously you, you like Brian. Brian said all well, some of these movies. So many of these movies are just you know very America centric. You know and you know rah rah here we go. Uh, and that was as a young kid. That's was the big takeaway. And now seeing these movies again uh, years later as an adult, um, obviously I see a lot more of the nuance and depth and some of the things that they're they're kind of throwing in there. Um, and um, 
and it's not all just war is great as long as we're you know as long and, and as long we as win every guys, right as long as you're the good guys and we're not you know <laughs> hey we, we win every battle right and you're like oh yeah and so um yeah so uh what about you ryan well it's insane i mean it, it would like i say the show was sort of inspired by by what dr mary was saying we were talking about in harm's way and some other things um those are sort of again they're a little those that kind of movie is sort of elevated film from the kinds of movies we're talking today but there's a lot of really good film craft and it it does feel a little tonally off that it what's with all that's going on in the world that we chose this weekend to speak about the fun war movies you know what I mean? yeah <laughs> sort of stupid yeah but it's too late for that here it is the show will live on and maybe it, it, mm-hmm. you'll be, it'll get you'll be able to gain some extra perspective about it but i it was it was bonding time with my dad my dad's a uh, uh we're from minnesota sure as you know if you watch the show he was a hunter and a fisherman and an outdoors guy and the one time where we could come together was was this it was in front of the tv and he didn't sit in front of the tv he read the wall street journal and kept track of all his stock options and stuff but if a certain kind of story was on if it was spooky or if it had astronauts that traveled to an ape planet or you know it was a narrow thing where we could come together but when we or it was these world war ii movies particularly these these ones where hey we got to go get that thing and bring it back or we got to go blow that thing up like that sort of story with a linear drive that I could kind of stick with no matter how many tangents it went off on was great. And we absolutely did sort of bond over those and still he and I still get together this last one accepted because of COVID, but we we've seen every bond movie in the theater, like since octopusy or something together it's a tradition we don't miss one wherever i am in the country however long the movie's been out whatever theater we got to find our way to we've always done that and so that's it's cool that we have that connection you know he he went on a business trip out to new york and knew i was into theater and and i we i wasn't i mean I, i did a little when i was a kid but i wasn't going on these fishing trips and you know what i mean he didn't have to buy me a rifle or anything like at a certain point i just sort of bowed out of that routine that he and my brother sort of took part in and so he was like oh well right we'll go out to new york and ryan can pick some theater show that he wants to see and they just made a point to make things fair and one of the key one of the reasons we got to that point which was a important thing for us was because we'd sit in front of the tube and watch these certain kind of movies i mentioned one of them and now i'm forgetting the name again i think it was called the rat patrol you looked up the name of the tv show for me joel while we were doing a show which was right. the which were these desert? It was this TV show with these oh, desert. I remember. Yeah, Rat Patrol. It were these were these guys? They it were just a like a reconnaissance patrol in northern Africa. Um, and it was that was a great show. And so every time that was on, I I don't remember many of the details of the show, but I remember the opening credits really really well, which were like Mash and some other things were like all taken from a movie apparently that launched the TV show. So yeah. Rat Patrol in color. I'm super grateful for that connection. And so there's a fondness for these kind of films that mm-hmm. that go with that, you know, just like similar to the way you, you know, like a, a song that was playing on your first date or whatever, like just is evocative 
of something yeah. more than just what the thing is itself. And so I'm interested to explore that a little bit as we go through these. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it was strange. Um, after watching the first movie we're going to talk about, uh, the big red one, um, which was a movie that I had a lot of, a uh, lot of connection to, um, before we talk about the movie specifically, I, I called my dad afterwards to tell him uh, that I had rewatched it and, and actually watched this new this newer version of it that um, I will that we'll speak on in a moment. And um, and, you know, as I have grown up, my my father and I are 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 uh ideologies or political ideologies have diverged and that, you know, and we've gone through some tumultuous times and figuring out how we can talk to each other about, uh, about things. Um, and, and so I was like, I, you know, I rewatched the big red one and Oh my God, it's way better than I, you know, remember. And I remember it fondly. And my dad was just like, his response was really <laughs> you, you watch you watch the big red one. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it was great. And it was great. And he was like, huh, huh. It just su- surprised me that you, that you watch that. And I'm like, what, what? I, I can still watch these movies. I, I know I'm a, and so anyway, it was, uh, but uh, anyway, <laughs> it was, it, it was like, yeah, okay. Uh, well, the movie's great. Let's talk about the movie. And, uh, and we should, we have the, let's the four of us talk about the movie. Um, big red one. Woo. from 1980 i'm just here uh, for luke skywalker baby <laughs> well yeah so, i mean that that was i mean that was one of the things that brought me in it was like oh this yeah. is uh this is the guy from star wars is in this and uh, um and uh and of course and of course the guy from paint your wagon um no i'm kidding <laughs> um <laughs> but no uh lee marvin stars as you know a lot of these a lot of these war movies of this era you know they always have the that grizzled war hardened sergeant or commander type or whatever you know that's seen it all and gone through it uh and this one's no different with lee marvin uh playing that no in, um, indeed this one might be one of the best ever actually yeah marvin is, is outstanding in this movie yeah and that was that was that might be my biggest takeaway from this uh is just how good um lee marvin is in this and, and how much i i didn't appreciate uh that obviously as a kid i didn't appreciate the finer things that he brought to the brought to this movie um but big red one uh follows the exploits of the big red one uh the, the you know the the first, first in the first infantry and they are the the first in to battle they are the first ones in to to scout where their where battles are even going to occur um and lee marvin leads this uh leads the first infantry uh and specifically this group of four guys uh that that just don't seem to ever die uh everyone else does but uh the, these four guys somehow um managed to stay alive through the whole thing uh through battle after battle and and um yeah it, it's it's uh, it's amazing um and one of those guys is is played by mark hamill um in the his first movie after the initial uh success of star wars Bobby, and um just and and um, yeah Bobby, robert, uh, robert carradine robert carradine it, it's kind of it's robert carradine's 
POV, essentially. I mean, it's Robert it's Carradine. His story. This movie was writ written and directed by Samuel Fuller, who was actually part of the first infantry. So this is his. It's really his war memoir, and it has, it, despite what Joel's mentioning, how the all the bullets seem to miss these guys. It other than that, and that we have to get to all these different theaters of war: North Africa, Sicily, France. Um, it, it has the authenticity that comes with coming from a first-person account. And Carradine's character, literal, he was going to be Private Griff until they found out they could get the dude from Star Wars, and then he was sort of demoted. But Carradine remembers it at, at, at that as being a, a disappointment to him. But he says, looking back, he says he's in just the right role. And what he found out that he didn't know when he was reading it was that he was... He was Samuel Fuller. He was the stand-in for him as a young man in World War II, and yeah. it that plays and it plays it plays with a lot of meaning. You know, uh, he's a cynical kid, but yeah. he still kind of he 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 gains a lot of wisdom and a lot of perspective from his experience. And well, yeah, and cool. that to me is one of the big things is that these four guys, especially at the top of the. Uh, you know, we don't meet them like at the start of their their military. You know, they, they've already been in it for a while, but yet they still have that that youthful swagger, that youthful invincibility um, feeling like, oh, yeah, this is this ain't it. Uh, you know, I ain't going to no bullets going to get me. And you see that kind of chip away a little bit uh, as as the movies uh, movie goes on. And of course, I say all the bullets miss them. Uh, and and I, you know, I that isn't entirely true. Uh, not you know, entirely we, we true. Get, it's yeah, not Lee, true Lee Marvin enough. gets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Lee Marvin yeah. gets gets pegged. Uh, you know, pretty pretty uh, early on, actually. Um, but you know, do, doesn't die. Just uh, just, but he does take a bullet. Um, but this, yeah, this movie. I mean, we talked about how these are mission movies. Uh, Big Red One is. Mission after mission after, after mission, mission after yeah, mission. Exactly. It's uh, this one is these guys are the first ones in and have to find where you know figure out what the Germans are doing in you know where where Rommel's you know what what is Rommel's path that he's that he's carving out to try to get to you know and and so that they can get that intel back. That's that's a big part of this is the constant communication uh from lee marvin to back to you know the 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 higher ups and, and the other um, thing it shares with all these films sort of share is it's this little mobile unit it's out doing stuff that's this tight little group of people and that's that's a great way that's a great thing to be able to hang a, a good story on i want to say yeah. one thing i've told this story before but i have to tell it again because here's brig red one and this is when we're talking about it but I, this is one of my favorite behind-the-scenes stories ever. When when um, when Lee Marvin showed up and they were going on, like they do for a lot of these films, so these kids from, these surfer kids from the 70s, you know, they don't know anything about war. So they put them through this sort of couple of the days or a week even, back in those days, boot camp basically, so that they can get some semblance of what being a soldier is. And they, these guys showed up early and they were hanging out with each other. And then Marvin kind of showed up at the last minute, as you'd expect a guy who had served and had been in, this is like his 12th army movie, basically. Um, 
he shows up and doesn't know any of them. I mean, he sort of, he's not exactly a method actor, but he sort of doesn't, he doesn't make, he makes a point not to make pals with these guys, especially during this boot camp process. But and nevertheless, it's a movie and it's Hollywood. So they're all sitting in the back of this big Lincoln town car or whatever on their way to uh, where they're going to learn that, where they're going to learn how to fight and shoot and roll over and stuff like that. And Marvin, who hasn't said a thing to any of these people, hasn't even shook their hands. He's in the car with him. He says, which one of you guys is Carradine? And Robert goes, uh, I'm, I'm Robert Carradine. He goes, yeah, F you, Carradine. And that's it. And then he doesn't talk to him again <laughs> until they're like out in the field or whatever. Of course, over the course of this film, it was just shot over like a two-month-ish period, which then is a pretty long time to be spending together especially on location um you know they got to know each other and they weren't quite so scared of lee and and <laughs> carradine comes up to me and goes hey um you remember when we were doing the training thing and we were in the car and you were like uh f you carradine he's like huh yeah yeah i remember he's like why'd you say that and he goes uh, you were the only one who had a name i recognized <laughs> well, that's a nice way to say hello. <laughs> yep. That's that's pretty fantastic. It's as great uh behind the scenes backhanded compliment as anyone's ever gonna get, really. Super mm -hmm. funny. <laughs> um so I was able to so uh on Ryan's recommendation, you know, the, the movie that came out in nineteen eighty, uh, you know, very good movie, uh it, it, but it was a very much chopped up by the studio uh to 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 get it within an acceptable runtime um and uh you know and various other reasons that a, a studio might have uh and and so uh fuller uh samuel fuller obviously not um not happy that it was kind of that the final cut was taken out of his hands uh so there were long rumored that that there were that there was all this footage and, and nine hour version yeah, of big red one uh, all those yeah. sorts of legends that crop up when this sort of thing mm -hmm. takes place yeah no uh, yep yeah. and so then uh after uh after you know Lorimar pictures was purchased by warner brothers and blah 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 all this stuff happened uh some people are like hey can we you know can we check to see if uh if if this footage does exist and rumor rumors uh started swirling around about boxes in a i think it was like in a st louis storage locker uh that um or Kansas City storage locker or something like that, that had, uh, that that was like labeled Big Red One. And sure enough, they get in there and they find all of these reels and a shooting script uh, that was labeled Samuel Fuller on it. And uh, so some, uh, some filmmakers, including like Peter Bogdanovich and some others decided, let's digitize all of this stuff and let's see if we can put this stuff together based on what's in this shooting script and so what came about is the uh they it's it's they it's labeled the big red one uh the reconstruction you know because the so they so that they the idea being that they're reconstructing the film as close as they possibly can to to fuller's vision this happened after fuller had passed away and so uh, the the result of this is a movie that is 45 minutes longer 
Um, uh, and, and it, it's, it's so, it's so good. And <laughs> some of the differences are some of the, the like the biggest difference is, um, uh, that we, there's, uh, a Nazi, uh, character that in the original movie is just sort of more, a, a shadowy specter kind yeah, of, right. you know, not, you don't really know much about him in this one. He is a full-fledged character he is absolutely the antithesis or he is the the nazi version of the counterpoint thank you yeah. of lee marvin he is the nazi version of that sergeant what's his name is um, fantastic performance uh schneider guy. oh the the dude's name yeah. is oh i was looking at the trivia here real quick uh that guy is He's not likely to come up on our show very often so i'm gonna give him some sure love. uh Sieg siegfried rausch really good good old siegfried rausch's sergeant schroeder um but yeah no he's he's just he's fantastic and you really get uh there's this scene where he's he's getting a massage from this woman and and she this woman is massaging him and and like he'd be like ah and she'd be like oh sorry i didn't you know he's and where did that one he's and he recounts like oh this one i got shot in north africa and he's he said you know he talks about how I got you. And it's something, a scene that we already saw that our group from the big red one in earlier. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, Oh, this one I got uh, in Sicily. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the guy had flowers in his helmet. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, it's like, and, and which is a callback to a you know great scene with Lee Marvin and this girl yeah. bringing him his helmet all covered in flowers. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it, it, this new version is so good. Uh, it's so good. That was the main reason I had to call my dad actually because uh, after watching it, because uh, I'm like, dad, you, I got to get, this. so I, I went and purchased it uh, based on how awesome this is and that I'll give it to him for, I already told him. So I, I'm not spoiling anything if he listens to this, um, which he does occasionally, uh, but that's his, that'll be his father's day gift. And I'm like, you got to see this new version. It makes it's, it takes a, a, a really good movie and elevates it to a great movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Big Red One is, uh, it's it's so good. And that's, this is, yeah, this is the kind of movie, this and Patton were the two big movies, uh, big war movies in our in our house. And while Patton really leans into sort of the mythicalness of this guy, this general, uh, Big Red One, I really, one of the things I loved about it is sort of the, 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 even though we've already joked that these guys, you know, don't seem to, the bullets always seem to miss, uh, miss our, our four main, uh, main guys. The battles do seem to have, uh, the, they take a toll, you know, it's, it's, you know, the, the, like, like we talk about in like fist fights and uh, fighting movies uh, 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 where, where somebody just takes a beating after beating after beating. And yet they still have all the energy in the world, right. You know, right after the scene's done this one, you see the guys get worn down as the battle gets longer and longer and longer. Um, And, and so it has a real worldness uh, feel to it. And that's, that's one of the things I really appreciated. So, um, so not only, uh, you know, do I, do I love the big red one, this new version um, instantly elevates it to just, yeah, it might be one of what might be one of my favorite films. Now this is, it's really, really good. You, you fellas got anything to say about big red one? Did you check I it out? Have you ever I, seen it? I have, I watched it again, but I did not see this reconstructed version. And I remember sitting there watching it again recently going, 
again, this German character, Schneider, is there. And we see him, and he's supposed to be, you can tell that he's supposed to be, about, where's the rest of his story? He just walks off into the sunset from, from the ambush at the cross, and it's like, okay. And now Joel's telling me, yeah, it's 45 minutes of footage on a cutting room floor. <laughs> that's <laughs> okay, mostly, go see this. yeah, that's mostly this dude. Yeah, when I, well, we'll, we'll watch it. Uh, we'll watch it sometime. We'll, we'll give it some time to, it, to settle. It, we'll yeah, watch it, it again. It makes the, it's, you know, I always thought that the bookends of the film were a little like, what? And, yeah. and, yeah. and this makes it all work. Like, it's still like, what? It still is what it is, but it, 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 it just, that, that the extra stuff really does tie all of that together and makes it a much more thematically rich thing. And seeing this and, and seeing this, you know, I, I think they don't need quite as much of it. They really put everything back in that was in the shooting script. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, all of that stuff where you just never experienced Schroeder except when he's with our heroes in the yeah. regular cut. And it's still a really good movie, but to have all of this, to have his parallel story be told and to see where they intersect and the weird way, because they're not two freight trains that are going to collide with each other. The way they intersect is weird. And it's, mm -hmm. it's like you would expect in, in it, it, there's a reality to it. That's kind of amazing. One thing I want to say, I'll pass it on to you, Dr. Mary, after that, that the, all the Germans playing dead and the tanks and stuff, that sequence haunted me my whole childhood. <clears throat> I only saw it on TV the one time. And it was one of those things where, I had the thought that something's not right here. Part of that's just movie magic. It's all full of tension and, and, you know, and my dad clearly knew what was happening. And I was, I remember being pissed at him that he didn't tell me what was about to happen so that I had to be <laughs> <laughs> surprised by this sort of outburst of violence. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I haven't seen the, the, the extra, the extra length version at all. I haven't seen this film for a while. Um, when you put the list out, I thought I better see Cross of Iron because I haven't seen that one. I hadn't seen that one in years. But isn't there a scene in the Big Red One where this some woman gives birth in a tank? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, and, and there's a scene where Mark Hamill says, you know, they're they're, they're stringing her legs up with um, the ammunition change. You can point the bullets the other way. <laughs> point the bullets the other way. Point the yeah. Point the bullets the other way. It's so it's so good. Um, yeah, it's right. Well, it's right after it's right after the scene with the with the dead Nazis pretending yeah. to be dead. Yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's so good. Uh, it's it, it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's this moment of levity, actually, in all uh, in in all of this, because they're like trying to get they're like, what's the French word for push? Yeah. And they're like, oh, <laughs> pussy. And of yeah. course, they do not pronounce it. <laughs> no, pussy. they're all like pussy. It, and he's like, no, yeah. no you can't say that. Oh, what are you talking about? Well, oh, it's, God, it's, it's really meaningful that that it's it, during that sequence or it's at the aftermath of that sequence during all the sort of weird chaos where our, where our sort of uh, anti-hero guy slips away. <laughs> Which yes. is mm -hmm. not again. Which is not what you're expecting to happen, and it's not where right. you expect it to happen. But it it uh -huh. makes a lot of sense, and it really sets this. It really sets Big Red One apart, truly, because these all these weird anecdotes. Uh, they're based on real weird things that happen. They're high, obviously they're narratively heightened versions of things that happened, but they're so odd. It's such an odd collection of scenes and moments, and even some of the battle stuff, and yet the film never. It never, I don't know what it said. Like the only flaw really I have with uh, 
Saving Private Ryan is it has all these moments of like physical irony that it just keeps pounding on you. And I always thought, you don't need to do that. This stuff can just be what it is and we can just experience it. And Big Red One's amazing because it's got tons of humor and lots of weird, unexpected stuff. And yet it doesn't really play anything with weird irony. Even the bad guys, ostensibly the bad guy, getting away is like everyone, if you're a viewer, at least me, even as a kid, I'm totally like at peace with it. And that's different. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel different things about war, which is really kind of amazing. Mm. And yet the template is totally, here's the, you know, you just switch, jump through time. But like Joel said, a bunch of different missions. Here's the objective. Go fulfill the thing. Now it's on to the next thing. And they don't really start arguing with each other about philosophy and stuff till the very end. But even that's powerful. And it's better earned in the longer version. I agree with Joel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Richard Schickle, I want to make sure I give him the the uh, he, the credit. He's the guy who headed up finding all of this stuff. Uh, and, well, and, and Bogdanovich too, who I'm pretty hard on, brought a lot of expertise to patching it together as well. Yeah, yeah. He apparently he was the in the article that I read about it. He uh, he's the one who like really was the guy who was like, this is what this is how I interpret what Fuller's notes are saying in the shooting script. I'm trying to find uh, the, 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 the slide on the, at the top of the movie that actually kind of filled me with dread. It was like, uh, this is a fictional, Oh, I got to find it. The (laughs) the exact one, the the exact wording. Um, Are you jumped to that? Let me jump back really quick to the comment you were making um, Ryan about, the bad guy essentially in the film gets away. Yeah, I hate to call him the bad that. guy because I don't. Yeah, think, but but you get what you like. He's he's a representation until the end of the film. He's a representation of of the German army, right? Of right. the Nazi German army. Yeah, um, the warm Iraq anyway. Away. And I think what what made that acceptable, like at least for me as a kid, and even when I rewatched it, was the sense that he's running away into the sunset. And the voiceover right after it says, from that moment on, we had the German army on the run. You get this sense that, like, you already know what happens in history. You know they lose. So you're like, okay, he's never going to get away. Like, he can kill, he runs, but he never gets away. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The opening title is, the opening title card uh, comes up just on a black screen. This is fictional life based on factual death. <laughs> and I and I was just like, oh, oh no, no, that's oh. But then from that point on, is it's spectacular. <laughs> but oh, I was the like, gesture oh. for mature viewers only. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> based on factual death. Um, so talking about uh, German characters, uh, you know, and, and learning the stories of the Germans, as Brian uh, uh, mentioned earlier, uh, he, uh, you know, it was, that was something that, you know, that you, that you brought up is that, you know, you would, you were also interested in the other sides story. The German, in this case, the the stories from the Axis uh, powers, um, and that uh, you know, and that's that's Cross of Iron, 1977's Cross yeah. of Iron, um, and uh, yeah, which is which is a story. Uh, it's James Coburn again, <clears throat> James Coburn again. Um, well, yeah, James. 
Oh, I'm well, sorry, not James Coburn. I well, boy, it's I was James Coburn. It's, it's not James. It's Coburn James again. Coburn, not James Coburn again. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I got ahead of myself there. Um, t- tells you the order I watch these things in. Um, but uh, and Maximilian Shell. Now I can say Maximilian Shell again because we talked about Maximilian Shell last week. Yeah, and War Games yeah, last yeah. week. We're we're and really War repeating Games ourselves. Um, yeah, this is a this is. I said this before we did the show, so I'll say it again for the record. But, uh, but you know, we were talking about World War II movies, and Brian brought this list of World War II movies, and they were all, they were all too good for this particular episode. I don't know how else to put it. They were like the really, really good ones. The Longest Day. I don't remember some of the ones that were on there. Bridge Over the River Kwai. And they're, they're, those are all obviously worthy of discussion, but I all felt a little... Um... They just felt a little too like this is a real war movie. This is really about the heroism and the horror of war. Whereas what we were trying to get oh, yeah. to were these more intimate stories, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. sense. Yep. And, and and but the one on his list that jumped out at me was unlike any other one that we brought up. And yet, I think to some degree, really fits the template was was. Um, Cross Iron, which I knew, but at at that point I hadn't even seen. I had this is the only one of this that I, of this group of films that I didn't grow up with. I had this over on my shelf. It's Sam Peckinpah, so I assumed there would be a certain insanity and madness to it and randomness to it because all of his films sort of have that. Um, but. And so I kind of avoided it because I was like, I don't know, I want to see, you know, like the wild bunch or I don't want to have all the violence or all the whatever. Like, I just assume there's going to be some sort of negativity with this film, which there is, but it's different than what you expect. And I'll let Brian take over and kind of just set the thing up for us because. I'll get uh, before Brian takes over, I'll just give the the, the, the little one sentence synopsis on the movie. Uh, This is German commander Hauptmann Stransky places a squad in extreme danger after Sergeant Rolf Steiner refuses to lie for him. Oh, yes. So that sort of sets it all up. Yeah. Even though that's that's a great setup, but even though that's like a, uh, it's not a small part of the movie, it's a big important part of the movie, but it's a tiny, it's a, it's a limited part of the movie right in the middle of the movie that's neither the beginning of the movie or the end of the movie, which I think is sort of interesting too. It's hard to take Cross of Iron and simply give it a two-sentence thing that sums it up because there is there's that crazy peck and paw randomness and mm-hmm. weird structure yeah. to it that you kind of don't know what's coming next and one thing doesn't always lead to another, even though things do tend to connect eventually. So go go ahead, Brian. And they they do. This is Peck and Paw's only war film. Yep. Uh, most of, and the only film he ever shot where everybody's in a uniform most of them were all it's a it's set in a western or it's set in an area where you know everybody's dressed differently and conflicts or even though it might be ultra violent or might have violence and and sexual assault he's not had violence on a scale where it was like here's a war and it's constantly going and that's one of the things that when you watch cross of iron you're just getting barraged from the opening scene, from but even the credits when they begin to roll is just war footage from World War II all the way to the end. There is somebody getting bombed every second of the way. Um, and you, it's not, at times you think, okay, this the war should be the background of that film. And he really sets it as the forefront of the film and then sets the, att- the survival of that group um, led by Coburn and his conflict with Stransky. Uh, Steiner's conflict with Stransky the whole way until the end where you get this here's the 
each one of those men has a different driving force for why they are who they are. But they do belong to a very horrible group of individuals, right? The mm -hmm. Nazi army was a horrible, horrible group of individuals. And the Soviets aren't really, they're not centered front and center and they're not being shown as anybody being no they're faceless almost yeah, they're they're they everywhere faceless. but they're not characters really yeah. in the thing the film's yeah. about uh, a struggle in life philosophy and military yeah. philosophy and everything yep. else and frankly it's a class war too to a certain degree yeah. between these two germans and the people in their immediate vicinity Yep, Stransky being that upper classman or upper class society from Prussia and uh, Ooh, I just say one class. last thing about him, it, Maximilian Schell's character. If he didn't want to be at the front, he wouldn't be there. Correct. You get the very much the sense of that. He's there to get the cross of iron. He's there to get the yep. highest military award so that and he has this whole vision for what his future life's going to be. He's a, he's a total yep. aristocrat in that way. He's, uh, he's here to earn his stripes. He wants to do it and then get out of Dodge. Whereas Coburn's character is this lifer in the military who, who's only risen in the ranks about as far as he's going to rise, which is not very far. Yep. But there's a soulfulness to Coburn's character that I found surprising that I thought was very, very cool. And yet yeah. there's a harshness to him as well, I think, that is inescapable. There is a, the harshness, if you it, like throughout the film, the harshness is really driven towards those people he believes are, are lacking some sort of humanity. Right. Um, like Stransky, he does not see him as a human being. He sees him as a, a, an aristocrat that's just throwing bodies into the war for whatever you know purpose there is. And even the guy, I'm trying to remember the character's name, the one who came along who was later like a... Um, either a Gestapo or SS officer or something that had come and joined their ranks. Yep. When that guy goes to and sexually assaults the Russian woman who ends up um, castrating him, Steiner has literal sympathy for this guy. Like, doesn't even shoot him to death. He just gives him to the Russians to kill. He's like, <laughs> here, you, and he says, now we're even. And he walks out of the room. Because to him, that guy didn't even rate as a human being but everybody uh, other people that he encounters through in the film his own men in his squad the soviet boy that they kidnap or they captured and then later set free he ranks those yeah he, he, kid, he technically kidnaps the boy from yes. the from the other germans to spare yes. his life essentially mm -hmm. it's an interesting action on his part yeah and he does it from stransky because Stransky's the one who orders that the, the kid be shot right just in case <laughs> just yeah. yeah just in case you need other reasons to hate you know Stransky in this film <laughs> well but i mean that's even that we, we see that actually repeated there's uh, coming up in one of these films there's a a horrific execution of somebody that just feels 98 percent unnecessary in in terms of getting the mission done and yet that two percent niggles at somebody enough that they're just like well we gotta he might tell reveal our position i mean who knows we gotta gotta get rid of them and that yeah that inhuman decision is harsh and and colburn's character does i'm sorry i'm sort of using the actors names because it's easier for me to keep track of them but he does he refuses to he just refuses to go with that he, he yeah and and yet you know, without spoiling it specifically, that tragedy still finds tragedy a way into still, every yep. single one of these situations, no matter how much you try and, which is the harsh, the harshness of war, right? Yeah. And I think that's what Peck and Paul was trying to get across with the film was that, you know, 
war is a terrible, terrible thing. And here in, even inside of it, there are those who struggle for, you know, against ideology, against class, against structure, and to maintain some sort of humanity and the horror of everything that's going on. The unfortunate part is that critics just lambasted the film when it came out in 1977. Well, it's it, so, it feels like a 1967 movie. Yeah. It does, when you're watching it, it does not feel like a 1977 movie at all. No. In a way, no, Big Red One does sort of feel like a 79, 80 type of production. This film yeah. feels like it's out of time. It's a British, uh, kind of British film productions, mostly paid for by, by um, United Kingdom funds which yep. ran out with several days of shooting to go. Um, and there was no, there, it was an independent movie. So there's no, in this case, there's no Lorimar or certainly no Warner brothers to go to and say, you know, help us. We just have a couple of days left when the money ran out from these private English investors, the money was gone. And that's the reason, although the ending is haunting and I think works it it does it really does feel like the film stops at this strange non sequitur, and then Peck and Pop, being an artist, stretches that out and turns that into something more than maybe what it was supposed to be, so that he could have an ending to his film that wasn't the big action bonanza that they had planned. Yeah, it does feel like when you're watching it, you're just like, okay, the film ended, like where it ended, and you get the sense that these two men are still going to be in conflict for a little bit longer but you do you do see where their roles have reversed like yes. the class of elitism versus the working man where now the working man is the one in charge because well now the, you're actually in the war mate yeah deal with it i mean that that's a something. really interesting turn in the story i think and again i don't want to completely spoil all the details of it because it is the end of the movie but it their tables totally turn it because i, I yeah. i've been here before many times and you're going to experience what this is for the first and probably we don't we don't get the evidence of it, but probably the last time. And it's that's harsh. And it goes along with Colburn's character's sense of justice, which we see different examples of throughout the film. And it, so you don't really need the big ending where you see everything resolved. It really does work to just leave them there because it's that decision that the film turns on more than outcome of that decision which yeah. we can all imagine although i will say that the laughter like continuing through the ending credits that's a little spooky it's, <laughs> yeah as you said you saw this uh you just watched this film for the first yeah time. i mean one i hadn't <clears throat> i hadn't seen this film i was quite old when i first saw this film i was having an, an off-the-cuff conversation with someone and i said you know there aren't many german film there aren't many films made by Americans or British that actually tell the German side of the story. And I said, you know, the closest I've seen is Das Bot, which I know isn't an, an English or an American film. Yeah. And then a friend of mine said, but you clearly haven't seen Cross of Iron. I thought, no, <laughs> I haven't. So I, I was about 21 when I first saw this film. And then I had, didn't see it again until three days ago. <laughs> but one of the... And, we watching it. One of one of the, the way I I think about how well, nicely acted this film is. There's a scene when they're all in a bunker and they're getting shelled, and they're having this conversation about the captain and one of the lieutenants, and there's a lieutenant there, and now James Colburn is there, and he said, "If your testimony is right and you're sticking to it, then I have to start a review board." 
and they're just there's shells going off and there's dust falling down and everyone's <laughs> I think everyone's trying to out psych each other again. I'm not scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And James Coburn just walks around and sits down and says, kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but then mm-hmm. the, I think it's a colonel says to him, look, I've been covering your ass for years. What, what the hell's the man of you? This is your big chance for, for what you want. Was that and, James Mason's character that says that to yeah. him? Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. doesn't and he doesn't say anything. It's like he's kind of got, yeah, do what you want, man. I, I hate all of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's but why you're that's why you're sergeant for life, man. But yeah. that's probably what you should be. Um but that's just stuck in my mind because every time something went off, and you, you notice some poor bastard on on the set shaking dust down, going, <laughs> <laughs> everyone's just got you can see everyone's eyes just look up and then look at each other. Uh huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's brilliant. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. It's one of those. Yeah. It's it's a rising tension thing. It just yeah. Totally plays off that yeah. of yeah. It, which is one of the one of the taglines of this thing. Uh, uh, oh, I just saw it. Um, do, do, do. It was. It, it's not. Um, oh, where is it? <laughs> there was taglines. Oh my gosh, this is so not going to be worth it now. Uh, yeah. yeah, the one because one of them was the power of Peckinpah has never been so real or so brilliant. Um, But no, uh, this one on the Eastern Front in 1943, the German soldiers no longer had any ideals. They were not fighting for the stinking party, but for their stinking lives. This film's kind of, it's got some amazing stuff and it's got a homosexual character in it that's stunning for the time. It's got, and and, and to follow along with what Brian was saying, the film was the... Cross of Iron was most successful in, in Central Europe markets, including mm. Germany. That's where it did its best business and sort of made its investors, you know, at least their break-even money back. And yeah. because it's from a renowned filmmaker of a that's a very much a auteur of his era, you know, it, it it has I think it has a sort of outsized reputation for what it is. But it it's you you can't deny the even though it's very, it's really, really heightened. I, I, Maximilian Schell, I can't say enough about him. It's one of James Coburn's favorite films that he ever did. Yep. He, so he spent his whole rest of his life talking about how great it was. All of that helped bring it out of that sort of critical doldrums that it was in, you know, whatever, the four weeks after Star Wars that it came out yeah, in the theater totally or whatever. overshadowed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that movie, all these 70s movies, uh, The Sorcerer, there were a whole bunch of them that came out in the wake of Star Wars that played in the theater for a week, and then the theater promptly put Star Wars back in the theater to get the kids back. <laughs> well, I mean, for its time, too, it's, it's an interesting film because there, there are more films than not that portray women as needing to be rescued. But, you know, the women yeah. in this film are actually quite freaking frightening. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. There is you know, the, justice. Those Russian women. I mean, you know, if you if you if you look into the history of it, some of some of the you know, Russia's most deadly fighting forces were women. They they had this Black Widow squadron that had the biggest kill rate in the whole Russian air force, and <laughs> they had a Russian um, mm-hmm. infantry unit made out of women that the, the the Germans were scared of. Yeah. So you see yeah. this film about these women who were captured who. Played yeah. the Germans. They have it both ways because they are damsels in a way, yeah. but they just aren't. When the chips are down, they absolutely aren't. And that's 
that's a nice reversal from what we're used to experiencing. I totally agree. That's right, kids. Black Widow in the Marvel Universe is real. <laughs> right it's out of history, baby. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, well, speaking of uh, speaking of women in wartime, um, the uh, next up is Operation Crossbow from 1965. Um, with Sophia Loren and and my favorite Girl Scout cookie, Duncan Sandys. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, no Operation Crossbow. Um, yeah, I, this was uh, this was one uh, that uh, this is one of yours, Maz. Uh, yeah. this one and and where where eagles dare. Uh, which is, I, sort I, think, of, the, I sort of forced Mass to choose where Eagles dare, but the one he brought up on his own was Operation Crossbow, and I was like, yes, that's the kind of movie I'm talking about. That's exactly the kind of movie. And both of these are, although tonally yeah. they're very different, I, they're both this, this kind of behind enemy lines, sneaking around, and truly, like, in the case of Operation Crossbow, it's it's. I was reading like a user review online on IMDb, and he said this is maybe the best. Let's go blow the thing up World War Two movie. Yes, out there, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, the let's go blow the thing up. <laughs> yeah, that's what this is. They're they're Truly. trying to infiltrate the Nazis' rocket yeah. research site, uh, and um, yeah, it's got uh, Trevor Howard and George Papard. Uh, well, who loves it? What it's a plan Picard's comes movie, to... even though Sophia yeah. Loren's top billed in it. Yeah, Sophia Loren's yeah. top billing. Yeah. Um, well, it's Picard at Loren... his most serious and his most sort of like down to business. I really enjoy him a lot in this film. I but like it, him in this film. I, I really do. His character is it's really interesting because when you first meet him, he's, you know, you pay attention to the movie. He's, you know, it, it starts with him trying to work out the V1 rocket. Right. And of course, for damsels in distress, they have a female pilot who works out what's wrong with the thing mm-hmm. and crash lands the thing, didn't even break into a sweat. So they give her a medal. Because, yeah, what's next? Bring it. Uh-huh. So they decide to send in a, they have to find a load of men who um, can speak German yeah. and are engineers. Right. So they put this call out. And of course, George Peppard comes in and he's an American fighter pilot whose dad's a millionaire industrialist. He's got a master's degree from MIT and he's just he's just happy the war started because he's a playboy and he's bored. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, as stuffed a stuffed shirt as you're likely to see. <laughs> he even gets asked in the interview, well, didn't you go and work for your father? And he goes, oh, good God, what for? <laughs> <laughs> so they pick him for this mission. They train him as a commando and they dump him behind enemy lines and he's just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> he, he grows up really i think he really grows up in this film and when he meets um you know the person who's you know yeah you can say he he's impersonating a german and he sophia loren plays the person he's impersonating's german. wife who shows up in his yeah, life to take to get take custody mm-hmm. of their kids so she's divorcing him because he's a collaborator her right. husband yeah. she doesn't know his, his actual husband's dead right in all this mess, George Papard, to me, he wants to be the the cowboy in the white hat. You know, he's the American in this predominantly British film. Yes, and he just wants to be the hero. So he he thinks of this plan on on the you know on the run, 
all right, you think I'm your husband, you want a divorce, you want to take the kids, you need your husband for a signature, you know I'm not who I am. Tell you what, I'll sign this bit of paper so you can take your kids away. I'll date it today so this badass woman who's a spy who's running the motel won't... Who plays that, what, her name, that actor, she's amazing in it, the other woman. Yeah. I don't know yeah. what her name is. Joel, find I'll her. find it. We I'll should, find it. She, she is brilliant. Uh, Lil, let's see. I think it's Lily Palmer. It is. Lily Palmer. Yeah. And she doesn't do a lot of talking, but everything uh, that's does. going on with her is in the eyes. It's really, really great. Yes. So after he leaves, and he's, you can tell he's going off with his spring and his step going, I've just saved a beautiful woman's life. And he's getting on. Goes, now, let's blow something up that's German. Yep, exactly. And unbeknownst to him, this woman comes in and just shoots her. <laughs> Soon as he's soon as he's out, that she just as he's down the road a little bit, and then these guys come in. That's a big spoiler for the movie because, like I say, Sophia is top rated in the film, and she's since we've spoiled it, she's only really in it for about twenty one minutes or so. Yeah, but it's it it goes along with Cross of Iron and some of the other things we've talked about, where he 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 works it all out for her. He kind (laughs) of stays there and works out this plan where she. There's no reason, she's no threat to anybody. We just need the timing to work out here and everything will be fine. And Palmer's just like, no, I'm not. She's the character who's not prepared to live. And it's great that it's another woman who you can tell is against this the whole time. Yeah. Who just is like, I'm not prepared to live with that 2% that this chick could mess up what we're doing here. And, and in a ruthless like- assassination, like second only to... Um, Hand that rocks the cradle in terms of woman killing woman violence. Yeah. It it's you can, yeah you can tell in this film that this woman um, she's just I, you know all right you brash little American you can have your yeah white hat moment but I know she has to die right so mm-hmm. you go off I'll I'll finish I'll do what you should and then let the adults take care of the rest <laughs> yeah. of this truly I'll clean it up but then yeah. he, he goes on to you know he, he does the ultimate sacrifice in the end yeah. but. The other thing about this movie that I love is the guy, um, he's an English guy, and I can't remember his name, the guy that plays the, the Dutch petty officer in the Navy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. His character that he's trying to be is actually wanted for murder. Yes. And then, mm-hmm. of course, you've got, um, you've got the double agent who was trying to get picked for this mission in the first place. Is actually, you know, and he recognizes him, and this dude won't come out of character to admit he's, a, right. he's involved in a mission to destroy the V-1 rocket and they shoot him for murder. Mm-hmm. And he just, yeah, does, talk- he just doesn't come out of character. Do what do I do in the film? That's that's my favorite performance in the whole movie. It's that guy, and I can't remember. Tom, Tom Courtney. Tom, Tom Courtney, yes. one of the yeah. great all-time British character actors. Yes. And that character was built for his, this quirky individualism that he brings to each of the people he plays throughout his career. I, I adore Tom yep. Courtney and I, that's Sir that's, Sir Tom yeah Sir Tom Courtney Amen. yeah <laughs> well yeah, earned. He, he yeah he earns yeah. that yeah it it's it's fantastic and yeah and and the Germans it's funny because what Maz describing is comical it's a comedy of errors in a certain uh, in many many ways and yet none of these actors are allowed to wink or do really anything. Like even Papard who, who could have probably yeah. gotten away with that doesn't do it. When Jeremy Kemp shows up, when the, you know, the Germans who ended up being foisted on their own petard to a certain degree are all playing this very straight and seem very confident. And that really, you know, that competence and that, that, that the fact that they're smart and that they're mostly figuring this out, just maybe a second too late. They really do figure it out in time. It's 
it takes the ultimate sacrifice for the mission to ultimately succeed. Our hero yeah. doesn't come back with all the secrets of the rocket, no. but but he does. Spoiler alert! He does blow the thing up, man. He, he destroys the program in it in spectacular fashion. And you know, Anthony Quayle, when he, even when he gives that guy a cigarette and he thanks him in German, just pretty classic. It's just very classic. And I like. <laughs> As, as an academic, I love Trevor Howard in this movie because Me he's too. a complete tool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not, he's wrong. He goes, oh, it's a barrage balloon. No, actually, it's a 70-foot it's torpedo. Really? Yeah, he's got the whole speech about how, yeah. and there's no chance that it, that this could ever reach our shores or whatever, and then it's... They'll have to use rock, you know, solid propellants, and then in, in the film, George Papar goes, what do you fuel it with? Liquid oxygen. He goes, oh, really? <laughs> What a great idea. That's pretty <laughs> like that stuff, isn't it? <laughs> it? The whole thing, at least back at headquarters where they're trying to plan this stuff, the whole thing feels like that scene in in uh, in Bridge Over River Kwai where William Holden's basically getting blackmailed into going back into yeah. war. Where yeah. you've got this this arrogant, although Holden plays it pretty straight, you got this arrogant guy and the Brits just badger him until he volunteers and then after that it's all jolly good good excellent you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i i adore that moment and i i love trevor howard in this too because he's he doesn't again he doesn't play the guy like a doofus everything he says comes from this place of 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 integrity 19, and he, he's just wrong about everything scientists right there it's just, yes, you know i was trained mm-hmm. to scientists we don't we don't make leaks in other words you have no idea what you're talking you, about. You have no imagination is the problem. And it, yeah. Germans, in the case of these rockets, had a lot more than, than they did. And it, it's I love Operation Crossbow. It's really, really great. I came to it very, very late. I didn't grow up with that one. But, but it was this journey back in time to that kind of storytelling that I really, really missed. And it is, it's very clever and very smart film. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead, Brian. I was gonna say the the one the one note that I had on this film was that historically, you know, uh, yeah. Bernard von Braun was the inventor of the V two rack. He's nowhere in the film. Yeah, yeah true. that's true. That at the time, true. he's winning ask accolades for being director at NASA <laughs> and the rocket. Well, I think they, you know, they were trying to keep that one quiet. You know, we got to the moon exactly. thanks to a Nazi. Uh, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and an SS officer at that. Right, like the most terrible of the Nazis. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and I'll just say yeah. again, I've watched a dozen movies now, and this was one of them where I'm like, whoa, who is this guy? And even now, yeah. I couldn't remember his name. And the answer was like every time was Tom Courtney. And I'm like, holy Moses, what a good actor. It's, yep. That's funny. He's so good that you, you, you feel like you know him, but you don't really recognize him in these weird little roles. I mean, outstanding. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tom Courtney is not. Mm. And that is Clint Eastwood. Mm. Um, Clint, Clint Eastwood <laughs> yeah, as far heads as sidekicks uh, go, they're the they're yep, the yin uh, and yang of the human race, aren't yep. they? Uh, yeah, what a so, he does play a good sidekick. Yep. So uh, that yeah that that brings us to our next one, where Eagles Dare, uh, another mission. This one isn't to uh, blow up the V two. Uh, and V1 rocket sites. This one is to uh, rescue American Brigadier General George Carnaby. Which uh, actually, 
<laughs> not to be a spoiler alert, is actually not the mission at all. It is mm, not the mission. Well, that's the mission. Yeah. He, yeah, here's what it here's what here's the IMDB tag on it is Allied agents stage a daring raid on a castle where the Nazis are holding American Brigadier General George Carnaby prisoner. But that's not all that's really going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a it, although this is an idiotic idea, it's a castle that's only uh, accessible by cable car. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who built that castle only accessible yeah, by not. cable car back in the age of castles being built. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But, man, for awesome cable car mm-hmm. footage, <laughs> this film cannot be beat. And there are... There Alistair are, McLean clearly loved himself he, a cable car. He liked the cable cars, yeah. Yeah. Another th- one of the things about this movie, and I, I'll jump to the end before I just talk about how great this film is. Yeah, um, it's a very British film. It has the longest escape scene of any movie ever. Yeah, yep. <laughs> the whole second right. half of the movie almost. Right, mm-hmm. we've, we've done everything we want. Let's get out of here. Forty minutes later. <laughs> well, yeah, that's real movie time. It mm-hmm. takes some freaking forty minutes to get to the airfield. Yep. It, it also has the distinction of Clint Eastwood, who's this American sent along on yes. this mission. Precise, who's who's he's a, a, clearly a badass soldier. He proves that throughout the movie. But but the real reason he was chosen is because he's completely ignorant of everything that's going on in the story. That's why the American is allowed to come along in this case, and it proves useful. His ignorance yeah. literally works during this sort of weird, twisted master plan. If you know Alistair McLean at all, and all, all we're going to talk about from here to the end of the show is Alistair McLean. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. There's, Interesting that's thing it. about that, that uh, he, There's character. always a traitorous turncoat, and they will be revealed yep. at basically the same point in the, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes there's two, and sometimes there's three traitorous turncoats. Um this film, without revealing each either of them specifically, there are more than one, and it. And I'll just say some other stats about it that are crazy before we get into the substance of it, because it's this gorgeous movie. It's shot by Brian G. Hutton, who's not known for shooting things gorgeously. I just think the action, the cable cars, the up in the Alps, the castle—like it's like you can't point the camera anywhere and not capture something amazing. And I think that just yeah. served the story, the locations, everything they chose. Because it's all shot on location. There are very, very few sets in this film. Uh, they really did shoot inside this castle, and it really does make a difference. Um, but uh, just some stats. This is the film that has the highest body count for Clint Eastwood. He kills more than 30 people in this movie. Yep. yep. So and even though the character kills nobody in the book, so it's a departure from McLean a little bit. He just keeps shooting, man. His gun is one of those that never runs out of bullets yeah, and hey, just keeps shooting this. Germans. It also has a reputation, although this isn't true. Maz, you can back me up on this. But every German character, every speaking German character in the movie dies at some point, and none of our heroes are actually killed by Germans. They all die in other weird happenstances. So the Germans in this yeah. film are truly like the stormtroopers in Star Wars. They cannot hit the broadside of the barn. They can't really do anything competently or usefully. They're they're entertaining when they're talking around the table and stuff. So I don't uh, that German when he takes the that female operative out on that weird twisted SS date that he takes yeah. her that he 
cajoles her into is fantastic. So some fun characters, but they're all, compared to what we've been talking to up until this point, they're all mustache-twirling villains that need to be dispatched and are accordingly. But that's... Steven Spielberg says this is his favorite World War II movie because he, I want to use his words correctly, because of the, the boy's own unreality of it all, I believe is the term he used, which I had to unpack a little bit to understand. But it's basically what he's saying is it's a fantasy. It's a war fantasy, and it, mm-hmm. it satisfies all of your fantastical desires that you want from such a thing. And we haven't even mentioned Richard Burton yet, Mass. <laughs> so you watch this film and if you can't see it more you can't see it once you've got to watch it three or four times to actually get what actually is going on and who's a double agent who might be a triple agent who yeah. it helps to read be, the wikipedia page after yeah. you watched yeah. it for the first time who might just be just an agent so these- <laughs> yeah clint eastwood yeah. called this movie where doubles dare yeah lots of great stunt doubles yeah. work in it no doubt I like the film. I like the film right from the start. So you know the scene of a beautiful scene of this vintage German plane coming through the Alps mm. during the credits, and yeah. And they, you know, they put the red light on to get ready to jump out. And of course, there's a flashback when they're in this bunker, and they're talking about the mission. And there's very stoic British men sort of sitting there lounging around with these <laughs> superior officers, and they're like, "Oh, okay. Well, we've never worked together before, but we're going to be fine." Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then Clint Eastwood is there, just standing there, just confused. Right. <laughs> but he just has this confused look on his face. And he introduced him as, you know, uh, 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 an American army ranger. So, you know, so it, that his reputation speaks for himself. And that's all they say about it. <laughs> and he's just yeah. sitting there going, standing there going, yeah, why am I here? Yeah. And as the film progresses, and there's even a scene in the film where um, before the men do anything meaningful, um, Mary Yore comes out of the plane when everyone jumps out and she jumps out of the plane you think what's going on here so Richard Burton meets up with her I don't understand that was she in the plane or hiding up in the plane like she was she was in the back of the plane keep okay when everyone jumped out they let her jump out last and Richard Burton forgot the code book when he when he gets (laughs) the radio off the first dead person who wasn't killed by a German you're absolutely right yeah um, then who did? Somebody in our crew? Somebody yeah, knew where we were did. landing? How could they know? It's so, you know his neck was broken. Yeah. So he's got. He explains to her, even as right in the start of the movie, that you know George Carnaby isn't George Carnaby, and the, the whole was the, the plane didn't crash. It landed. It was riddled with bullets, but they weren't German bullets. They were British bullets. But a hole is a hole is a hole. So yeah, immediately, right. what's going on here? So the, it progresses. Um, someone else dies when they get to the, just before they get themselves arrested. He tells Clint Eastwood exactly what's going on. And the scene, he goes, right. And he starts to talk to him. And then the camera pans out and you can't hear them speak anymore. It took me a long time rewatching that film to get that bit yeah. in there. He's actually letting them into the fact that you're not here because for what you actually right. think you're letting him into yeah. it, but not letting us into it. It's clever yeah, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so everyone gets arrested. It turns out that the three surviving um, people are actually the double agents. And, you know, um, Richard Burton plays this yarn to put a, uh, a phone in the headquarters because he might actually be, is he a double agent? Or is he actually just a spy? Right. Yeah. 
You got to find out. Burton. And there's, a, there's an after-shoot comment about the colonel, the guy who sent them on this mission. Mm-hmm. He says, well, you know, he, he, he was in um, Hitler's um, circle, circular staff for a year and a half before we got him back. And you think, was he? <laughs> was he? Was he turned? Was he always a spy? Was, was actually, did we get back the same person we sent? You don't really yeah, know. Yeah. Another group of commandos chosen because they speak perfect German, even though even the Germans don't speak German in this movie. They're all yeah. British people. Um, well, that's the lovely way in filmmaking yeah. to cover up the fact that you got no one who can speak German. You don't want to put subtitles. But it's on not those. a believable <laughs> conceit, you know, no, that you, you send a bunch of these guys and that they can just walk into a tavern in town and that everyone will accept that they're German just because they speak such perfect German. It, it's the idea of that's ridiculous. Um it, it's ridiculous. Even if you did, I mean, the, the amount of work it takes and training it would take to get to the point that you could pass as a German amongst Germans is different than just being able to speak or understand yeah. the language. Uh, I mean, I, I would I would actually, if you're absolutely right, and I would send everyone to watch Inglorious Bastards just for how they all got found out. Just yeah. Like, mm-hmm. However you say three. Right. Yeah. Yes. And that's <laughs> right. Yeah. And in well, that, we yeah. believe the guy is awesome, and yet he's still a one little slip up like that, and it's it's yeah. over. Um, Inglorious Bastards, very uh, very inspired by this particular film. So yeah. at least fail. that part of it, the that that the the Michael Fassbender, um, uh, what's the woman's name? Uh, I can't remember her name. She's actually German. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, tre- treasure hunt with that's yeah national treasure she's in uh, I really like her too Diane Kruger yeah so yeah, that yeah. section of the movie is very much this sort of sneaking around style film and and it, and it follows a lot of the same beats Burton Burton was you know like he was his whole adult life he was sick he was totally he was drinking this somebody observed. Uh, I can't remember. One of the women was dating Robert Shaw at the time, and he visited the set. And then they all the alcoholics like descended upon this film set. Peter O'Toole, Richard Harris, and they all disappeared for like three days while they were making yeah. it, and no one knew where they went. And Burton is literally in every scene in the film. You know, Eastwood maybe could have snuck away for a couple of days. Burton can't. And then they found him, and he they, he dried out and. Back to work. What were they gonna do? Um, You know, it was a different era. Like, think about TMZ and what we'd be hearing about if, like, any of this happened. Remember when Lindsay Lohan was late for work one day to the movie she was doing with whoever, and it was like that was all we talked about for three weeks. Or you know, it Mm -hmm. it's crazy to me that that happened, but it's funny, and it's really funny that wherever they were shooting this at this castle, that all these English alcoholics descended upon them and basically kidnapped him like it was the night before his wedding <laughs> what, I, what i love about this film is when it when it finally ended when they got to the plane yeah and the colonel's there and miraculously the admiral um took out the firing pin from his gun so he can yeah, yeah, yeah you're totally spoiling the end of the movie though you shouldn't do that unless um, you so have a really important point to make 
I do have a very important point. All right. Try and try it's, and make it without ruining everything. When he Richard Burton says to, to Although this to film's the, so convoluted, even if we tell you and reenact the last scene for you. You'll, be, you'll have to watch it again. When you go back and watch it, you'll forget well, what we talked about. It, it's it's, it's also hard to it's also hard to say spoiler uh, you know, oh spoilers for a movie that was released in sixty eight. Uh, spoilers yeah, are always uh, appropriate. This film's oh older God. than I am, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Longer than us older than us all. Yeah. So you know, um Go ahead though. He I'm was, sorry. I just want to say this is the whole the, shebang. The gets find out and he goes, Yes, you are the traitor. And he goes, Oh, well, we've got to. He said, What are you going to do now? Kill me. And Richard Burton actually says in this movie, No, I don't want to treat the hangman. <laughs> the next line in the film is this guy who's just been outed as a spy going, Is there an alternative if you want it? And he jumps out of the plane. What happened to, I don't want to cheat the hangman? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, you know, Clint Eastwood of... shuts the door, sits down, and the last line of the film is, you know, Major, next time, keep this a strictly British affair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eastwood, while they were making the film, like, kept asking to, you know, I don't want to say this stuff. Can, can't Burton just say this? Less talking for me. Like, you know, I, he had to carry a lot of the weight in the final scenes because... There's a fantastic scene where they're ascending up the castle. After they've come up on the cable car, they've still got to climb this rope about three stories up into the window where their Rapunzel-like agent sends this rope down to them. And uh, East and Burton just... Whoop, whoop, whoop. Burton's got, like, cables on him yeah. and stuff, and he's just flying up the rope. And Eastwood is doesn't have cables on him. No assistant. He actually is doing the stunt... And the movie plays it like as a bit where it's harder for this guy, the American, to climb up this thing. And yeah. he's all exhausted and needs help coming through the window at the end. <laughs> and you just are like, no way. But the, again, that's the it's the fantasy of it that's important. You know, mm, yeah. like Eastwood's struggles to get up the wall, give our, you know, our two undercover agents time to have a nice conversation with each other, which... <laughs> keeps moving stuff along it's a it, it's got some incredible action in it it's really really yep. scenic and amazing and well you are right ryan when the 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 germans don't kill any of these guys um richard burton sends one of the spies out down the rope so the germans would shoot him thinking right. they've all yep. gone down the rope and then right. he blows the other two up yes with a stick of dynamite and, and a cable car right none and, of them get shot by germans that's right the germans right. accomplish nothing in this they yep. literally lose 100% of the time it's like a it's like a, a CSI Miami episode in that way nobody gets away with anything and the entire right. film Eastwood asks the question like why am I here what am I doing and it, it makes me laugh every time Richard Burton leans into him in the bar and he's he's finally going to tell him what he's here for mm -hmm. and I just imagine the conversation goes something like this I'm going to find out who these spies are because I'm British and then I need you to shoot everybody so that we can escape. <laughs> Every single person we come Every across. Every last one of yeah. them. Um, all all the people. You need it's to use a, all the bullets. Well, and 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 the woman too. She gets she gets lots of shots in and throws a few yeah. grenades as well. They they're really the action heroes of the thing. Um, yeah, it's it's super funny. And a, and Eastwood and Burton got on really well when making the movie, and that comes across in the movie, which helps. Now, and and as just to put a capper on this, not only does he find out who the spies are, he gets a list of every single spy yes. in the war effort, yeah. just to yeah. make sure it's a total fantasy. He, you know, he comes mm -hmm. back to headquarters with here they all gonna, are in ranked in order yep. of importance. That's, I'm gonna. <laughs> 
I'm so good. I'm going to trick the spies into revealing the other spies. We ruined that movie, but the details are weird and they're not really the point of the thing. It's I just watched this film about three weeks ago and there's a when he when he's when he's got everyone around the table, he asks the the woman who's actually explained as a nurse to give the general truth serum. He says, can you go and get some a pencil and some paper? And she just magically apparates back with pencil and paper. I think. My students don't come to an exam with a pencil. Where the hell did she go in this castle? (laughs) (laughs) The pins are lined Uh, up really, really. Like writing, like they're taking an exam. They're writing these little books. Where did that come from? (laughs) That is spectacular. It's really, Uh, really super entertaining. uh, Where Eagles Dare is the second of of Alistair McLean's... um, World War II. Uh, yeah, though his book actually battle. has a much cooler name. Although Where Eagles Dare is not bad. It's Shakespeare, so I can't really knock it. Yeah. Um, let me, uh, I can find that for you. Um, it is based on. Well, I thought that would be easier to find. Yeah, Hold on it a second. It probably isn't. It's a much more famous movie than a book now. It's not. The, Alistair McLean was a great author, wrote some really entertaining stuff, but he didn't exactly transfer equally to each successive generation it's it's the movies yeah. that help it particularly the upcoming one here that we're about to talk about which is really one of his best novels and certainly one of the prestige pictures made from one of his novels yes uh, yes it is yeah which is yep. joel i'll let you say what the next movie is uh yeah sorry i was looking at <laughs> originally it was going to be called castle of eagles uh, but I cannot find here. Maybe what that's the, what, maybe that's the name of the novel. Could be. Uh, I don't know. Um, all right. So uh, ne- yeah. So next one, and then uh, so we go from uh, getting at a high uh, a a castle atop a mountain to a Greek island uh, filled with guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, to well, giant guns, I guess, and that is the guns of Neverone. Two super powerful radio operated. Uh, guns that are ruling the Mediterranean and no ships can get through and no, uh, what, caravans? What do they call caravan in the ocean? Uh, Convoy. Convoy, thank you. Yeah, they can't get get supplies through. So this this mission feels small with only a handful Mm -hmm. of guys like the rest of this mission, but it's super important. There are are 2,000 trapped British soldiers that need to be rescued and they can't be rescued with these two big guns shooting everything uh, that comes in the area. I, when I was a kid, I had a Guns of Navarone playset. It was, I don't know, it was about three feet tall and the little, those little plastic, you know, molded army guys, you know, that, that had the little oh, platforms cool. built into them where you were, it was populated with them. And then I had a little infantry unit that had to, get into Navarone and climb up ladders and sneak around and do this. And so I had this legend in my head. I had already done the guns of Navarone with my own imagination 70 times before I ever watched the movie. And then I was explained to me, I knew what Navarone was. I assumed it was a real thing. It's not, it's a complete made up thing. There was no such place. Um, but I really wanted to watch the movie and my reaction to the movie when I was a kid after playing with this playset was, 
boring. (laughs) (laughs) It's just people talking, people riding a boat. Yeah, they climb a mountain, but then nothing happens. Then they hang out with a bunch of Greek people. Where the hell is the mountain and the army guys shooting at each other? There's not even any Germans in this, really. It was driving me absolutely bonkers. Um, but my dad pulled me along because he kind of knew the big ending was coming and everything, and it would it would be worth it if we could get there, which it kind of was. But, man, three hours long, I was like, what's this has an intermission in it? That's, I've never seen that before. So all this idea of this was sort of foreign to me. But it... Like I said at the beginning of the show, it, you grow up, and then even though you watch the movie and you haven't watched it again necessarily, the movie grows up with you. You remember what you watched and what you experienced in it, and you remember the interrogation scenes, and you remember the, the leaving the guy behind on the top of the mountain. All these things that, as a kid, it, don't seem terribly exciting, like start to mean something to you as you mature. And I, that this no film. Well, I shouldn't say no film, but this is a film where that experience was absolutely true. Gregory Peck and where they meet up with David Niven. I guess those kind of are the two main guys. The two Greek chicks were guys, apparently, in the in the uh, novel. They turned them into women, which is brilliant. That was very, very smart. Irene Pappas and uh, Joel's gone, so yeah. I can't ask him to look it up. But another Greek woman. The, both Greek actors, or both European actors, anyway. Um, is Gregory Peck plays an English guy in this, doesn't he? Yes. A ma- ma- we, and he does a pretty decent English accent. Like he's a pretty good English actor. Yeah, he, uh, he does. He plays a renowned mountain climber slash commando guy who's brought back into service to head up this mission. Uh, Mallory. He's going to come up in our next movie too, which is kind of a sequel to this. Um, and David Niven is a. Uh, uh, explosives expert guy and uh, the explosive experts in your behind the scenes military movie is always an eccentric weird guy and this is I, David Niven's been great in so many things obviously throughout the ages so I don't want to pinhole him but he he was a last minute replacement for a different actor Kenneth Moore I believe and he super gets into this role of this strange munitions expert anti-war philosopher poet that he plays it's really unlike the other sort of stiff upper lip people we've seen david do throughout the years and i adore that too and i like the action richard harris has a fun cameo at the beginning as a very uh yes very interesting australian accent he doesn't even get a credit for in the movie i don't think yeah well he get he's credited he's not credited at the beginning like he's a big star but he is he's in the big list at the end but it's but it's weird to see him show up in this part where he really takes stage and then disappears from the rest of the film. Yeah. He was a he big enough have... guy at the time that it felt like somebody was doing him a favor. Like, yeah. here's your insurance, medical insurance for the year or something. <laughs> it, it really is, like, weird. And yet it is awesome. Um, yeah, it is. He says bloody a lot and it's awesome. Yeah, right. <laughs> that always works. Uh, Gia like Scala is the other woman. Love- Thank I you, Giascala. When when he when he when he when when he says hey, it's that bloody overhang with the bloody thing, and you can't get a bloody bomb big enough to blood it, and then he hands back to the the commanding officer is that squadron leader Burton's Australian, so and everyone goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh that explains everything. <laughs> so so it is Alistair McLean, and it does have a lot of the fun in it than where Eagles Dare has, but it's not just strictly fun. There's 
there's cultural stuff going on in this. These characters are more thoughtful about what they're doing. They're more yes. conflicted about the nature of war itself, which is surprising in a film like this. But in the end, with all the double crosses and all the getting captured and escaping and getting captured again and escaping, it, it it's about this final assault and this very, very clever booby trap that they place in this thing. It's very much like the end of Star Wars. It's this cross-cut... There's three different plots going on, three different mini missions within the main mission, plus an escape that has to happen, a much quicker escape. Naz, you'll appreciate that. Yeah, I did like that one. <laughs> it's quicker. Oh, it's just this quick boat-related escape, but people's fates change hands several different times in different ways throughout that final sequence, which is great. And it and it and they blow the thing up. I, again, spoiler, but there's very few cascading explosions in films that are like more satisfying than the one that happens at the end of this one. And it's great. And there's an amazing scene where it, it all, there's a lot that happens in it. They out the traitor, the traitor gets assassinated. I won't say how, um, but it, it, it follows a pattern from these other movies we've been talking about, which is really interesting because it's not, I guess it is a pattern in these types of movies, but it just feels unexpected compared to what you, you think how you think things would go down. Um, Niven's got this really powerful anti-war speech before they finally dive into the final mission. Yeah. There's just a lot going on in it. That is, it's, it's a long, big epic. It's the earliest film on this list. I think 61. Yeah. So it has the grandeur of like a biblical epic of the era, but it, it's a military, you know, world war two hero story. And it's one of, I would say it's one of McLean's more clever stories, so it all works pretty well. I'll let you guys take like, over. What I like about this film is the heroes. Yeah. They're, they're not perfect. No. <laughs> you know, right. like, so you got, you got Gregory, you got Gregory Peck, who, you know, he's been undercover for a year and a half. He doesn't want to be there. The person he trusts in the world, the most person he trusts most in the world is, has told him he's going to kill him. Because he blames him for the death of his yep. wife, you know, he helped him bury his wife. So they got that going on. Yeah, Anthony and Quinn and, and Gregory Peck's characters are at logger, even though they're on the yeah. same team, they're at loggerheads the whole time. They have a vendetta between them, literally. Yeah. And yeah. you know, Anthony Quayle is a hapless, hapless old friend of his who, you know, as yeah. the film progresses, says, you know, I just want people to play my games. And Gregory Peck says to him at some point, Well, now you won't rank us all, we got no choice. <laughs> you know, like, you're playing a war, you know, yeah. like but Butcher Brown. The yep. mechanic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back, I mean, you know, he said he got his training during the Spanish, so he murdered lots of people during the Spanish Civil War, and now he's one of the good guys. He got, um, is it what's his name, Darren Bobby Darren? Is that the guy's name that plays a Greek guy who's he was a singer at this point before he became an actor? But you know, he was, is it Bobby Darren? Joel, back us up on that. Oh my god, I, I did not track that. Hold on a second here. But this guy could sing. That's just why he sings this song yep. when they're at the wedding. Yeah. He's actually a singer. You're right. That whole wedding uh, scene well, is James amazing. Darren. James, yeah, James Darren. Darren. And James Darren, I, I, he was in, was it Time Cop or Time Tunnel or something? Yep, Time Tunnel. That's right. And yeah. he's, he, uh, just to go totally off topic, sorry, he saved Deep Space Nine when he came back as Vic Fontaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, he, he got sent to America for an education and turned into a, like a a runner for a um, a gang who murdered people in the streets. <laughs> and then David Niven, 
an upper crust academic who wouldn't take a commission and he managed to blow up Rummel's headquarters without blowing up the nurse. <laughs> because the thing about it is completely infeasible. Right. Right. But so you listen to these characters, they're incredibly vivid, and that's the what is awesome about the movie. Mm. That's what endures about the movie as it goes throughout the ages. I totally agree with that. They're all messed up. Yes. I know, of course, and, and David Niven keeps pointing out, you know, when they get on that really bad boat, which ultimately... Well, it even has a really great good German in it, right? The guy who's like, yes. look, if you don't start... You guys... It's kind of, it's like, you guys... I don't mean, this is not how he does it, but... You guys got to start telling me something. Otherwise, the SS is going to come in here and they're going to shoot you and they're going to shoot me and everything's going to go to hell. They're going to shoot everybody in town. Like, he, this guy's just, he's a, he's a, like a middle management guy in the German army. Just, <laughs> just yeah. trying to keep corporate happy and out of his hair. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, fan, the, it's really yeah. fantastic. <laughs> guys, you just get your TPS reports in, please. <laughs> Your stapler, Michael Scott of the Vermont. It's pretty much so. Yeah, it's awesome. uh, you feel for um, him. You really do. You're like, oh, poor dude. Uh, I yeah, I um, I I also want to just give a, a shout out to Olga Lehman, who's uh, the costumer, um, especially for uh, um, uh, Anthony Quinn's awesome like leathery and fur yeah. jacket yeah, thing. Yeah. Just. Man, do we like, have? Does anyone dude. wear a scarf around their neck too? Do I remember that right throughout this? Like one of those tied up. Is that Anthony yeah. Quinn? Yeah, not like a scarf, I, I, but like a bandana like a, or something. Right. Like, um, I don't know. Chief. Not to mention that the, yeah. the wedding scene, you know, which is nothing really in the plot of the thing, is filled with nine hundred extras or something. It's shot in the town square. This it's it's a big, widescreen film that spares no yeah. expense. Truly, and. That's something that when you're watching it on TV in 1983 with your dad, when you see it now, you know, there's a 4K disc. It's been fully restored. It's one of those films that just visually, it's a travel log and it looks kind of amazing on uh, even on TV. So I I like that about Mm -hmm. it too. But, But it was the big hit movie of which all of these sort of, we're all kind of trying to be guns and Navarone. I kind of feel about it. And, and well, the, next, yeah. the next film, unless you got something, Brian, you want to add to guns? The next film's oh, just a cheap, cheap quill to it. You know, like the little mermaid had a straight to video cheap quill. <laughs> yeah. That's what we used to call them anyway. Cheap quills. Um, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, the, yeah, this is, uh, like, well, with, we got to see this is, yeah, very much. Well, there's gotta be some, some other adventure we can send, Send these guys on. Well, Alistair uh, McLean wrote another novel. Yeah. And then for years, they were just trying to make it, but it, for different reasons, rights reasons. You know, these moguls growing old and running out of money. They had a couple bombs, and suddenly you weren't a movie producer anymore. That was kind of the era. There was no corporate overlords that would come in and, and bail you out. It, it, was, it was different. So, you know, if you made follow the Roman empire and nobody showed up and suddenly you're just like, well, that's $40 million. I don't have anymore. And I don't know what $40 million <laughs> was back in the early sixties, but it was all the money in the world. I mean, you weren't making movies anymore, period. So long story short, it took all the way to the disco era before they finally, somebody said, Hey guys, let's do it. Let's do a sequel to Guns and Navarone with none of yep. the same people and, uh, you know, just none of the same anything. Nevertheless, 
as it's easy to rip on this as a totally unsatisfying sequel, which is how it was received. This is more in line with the other movies we were talking about. This is it's out of its era a little bit, 1978, but it's a real guilty pleasure. It's directed by Guy Hamilton, who made all the worst Bond movies. Man with the Golden Gun, Live and Let Die, Diamonds it, Are Forever. It, feels, it does feel like a 70s Bond movie. And it, I it's Bond full movies. of 70s Bond people, right? Bond. Barbara Box in it, Richard Keel's yeah. in it. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's, it, 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 it is very <laughs> like a cheap Bond movie with no, with no Bond in it. But, but it has Robert Shaw and Edward Fox... Who aren't Greg? They are not Gregory Peck and David Niven. Okay, I'll no, grant you that. But they have a ton of fun together in this movie. They get along really well. Fox is at his charmingestly funniest in it. Um, and and in the Clint Eastwood role, you, they have Harrison Ford, and they couldn't have gotten a better wanting to do something different sort of Harrison Ford at this point in his career. He was desperate to not mm -hmm. be Han Solo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he'd just been Han Solo only the year before. This was the next movie he did, but he chose it specifically because it was full of these other people he knew, and because even though it was just kind of the same, it's kind of the same as Star Wars. It's it's a military mission movie, which is what the original Star Wars is. Yeah. Uh, not to get into Star Wars, but if you really, you know, the Star Wars movie that these movies that it really steal completely and wholeheartedly from these movies is Rogue One. Rogue One is a behind-the-scenes military mission movie with a small group of mercenaries who are all conflicted mm -hmm. one way or another about what their role is in the greater war and who all make the ultimate sacrifice to capture the thing that they need to get at the end, the MacGuffin, whatever it is. In Rogue One, it's the Death Star plans. That film, you know, people talk about its adventure qualities, but it, it's it's completely a behind-the-scenes war mission film. Fantastic um, film. And this is too, and this one's not very good, but it's very pleasurable. Franco Nero, uh, it's one of the five movies that Harrison and Angus McGinnis did together. Joel, I remembered his name this time. Angus. We love Angus you, McGinnis. Yep. Angus McGinnis, a Canadian actor uh, who was living in England, and all these movies shot in Europe and England that needed an American hired him. He's literally just him. John Ratzenberger was another one. They're contemporaries. They're literally in all these movies in the late seventies and early eighties for that reason, because they can talk and look like an authentic American, even though they're Canadian. If they were American, England wouldn't have let them come live there for union purposes. And they shouldn't because we're, we do the same in reverse. Um, yep. But Canadians is all you really got to do is show up and say, Hey, can I make movies here for a few years? And they'll say, Sure. Same with Canada in reverse. Hey, I'm from England, but or I'm from Scotland, but I want to be a Canadian now. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah, just sign here. You know, they're very cool. It's us. We're the problem. But that aside, Harrison Ford and and uh, Carl Weathers, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that, that, to me, that was, we're making a war film. We need an African-American. Find one. <laughs> Find and one. And quick, him. find a reason for him to be in the movie as well. Yeah, and always oh, been yep. arrested. That's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> he's under guard by MPs when we see him, and he beats the crap out of two policemen and, then, and ends yeah. up on a mission. And then he gets on the plane. It's, it's clever. It's typical Alistair McLean. The, the people going on this mission are literally breaking into the airfield instead of going into it because... What does Robert Shaw said? Every one of our missions into this territory have been ruined 
here in Turkey. They've all gone yeah. bad before our, our heroes even got on the plane. So now we're not telling them that we're going. And that's clever. Although the other Europeans trying to play Americans are terrible, man. That play, the interior of that plane before they start jumping out. Those guys are, oh, yeah, rah, rah, Americans talk like this. And it, it's yeah. just. <laughs> but you again, can call that's, me Tex. Exactly. <laughs> that's oh, still really super enjoyable. Nice. Like, I really, really like it. And, you know, spoiler alert, only a couple of those guys actually make it from the plane down to uh, yeah. Czechoslovakia or wherever they are. I can't remember exactly. But they need to blow up a bridge, and the two British guys are along to assassinate. Uh, turncoat trader and as the group gets whittled down to almost nothing they manage to accomplish most mo both missions which is really really fun but it's stupid compared to something like guns and Everon, it just doesn't have the high-mindedness it's 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 man with the golden gun it's cheap racial yeah. jokes there's a scene where richard keel tries to tries to get the black off of uh yeah. Carl Weathers' face, that's really makes you squirm when you're watching it. But Michael Byrne, pl plays, who's a great British actor, plays a, a fantastic German. He played a lot of Germans throughout the years. He's got he's English, but he's got the look, you know. He he was the main German bad guy in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, to make you realize who, that, who I'm talking about. He's great in it. Angus is good in it. I mean, Robert Shaw and, and Harrison Ford are have, seem like they're getting along and having a good time. Barbara Bach never cracks a smile in it. She's all business. That's fun. That's because she's married to Ringo Starr. She's got nothing to smile. Yeah, she's about. got nothing to be happy about. <laughs> married the least known Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, she's fun, and Franco Nero is always good. You know, he's he, you feel like. He, he, he just has this sense of him when he shows up where like he's coming in from some other movie where he was seducing some woman and betraying some rich guy. Like I, it, I like that when you can just show up and be, have a presence and have a thing going on, but it's corny and silly, but it's also exciting and fun. The big final assault on the thing. I won't say what it is because I'll just keep that to myself, but, and the destruction that goes along with it and all the wisecracks yeah. and stuff. You know um, what? That's great. That's great. I watched. Um, sorry to interrupt you. No, I no. Watched um, horribly inaccurate movie that I love, Battle of the Bulge. Ah, yes. the Bulge. Oh yeah. Quinn yeah. was about nine. No, Quinn was about eleven. He watched this film with me. Oh wow! Because this is a dad thing. Mm -hmm. and he was. I could tell he was trying to. Hey, I'm watching. I'm watching the movie with man. <laughs> he was bored out yeah. of his skull. Right. So he started. He started going. Oh, look at that tank battle. Very bad CGI. I said, dude, they're real tanks. This yeah. they have to. <laughs> they have to film a tank battle with real freaking tanks. <laughs> so that scene at the end of the movie when they finally. I, Yep, I'm, I'm taking your lead of not saying exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. They but there's miniatures involved in some other things. But they really had to brilliant. do this stuff. Brilliant, brilliant miniatures. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, to pull that was good. All time great Bond miniature guy, and he did worked in every movie. John Richardson does the effects for uh, Force Ten, and they're they're pretty fantastic. You can see some of the seams, but the, it beats like the end of Superman the movie, for example, from the same year. In terms of a lot of the time, you really feel the weight of it, and the power of it, and the yeah. sound. So it's yeah. you know, Guy Hamilton. As much as I rip on him, because he just can't he just can't 
take anything seriously and his films don't as a result. We, I'm the only one maybe in Bond history who thinks Goldfinger is just stupid because it is stupid. And it, it, it sinks the thing for me, even though it's the, all the baby boomers favorite Bond movie and it's fun, but it's so, it's too, it's way too stupid. Oh, and no, I can't, I just can't. When he goes operation grand slam, you have two words, Mr. Bond that mean nothing to you. <laughs> it's fun I know I, I, I don't expect you to talk I expect you to die that's super fun that is the best yes. best villain movie or line like but, ever but because... I told Joel and I'll do this I got time for two of them so I'll quick do them the, I'll just remind you go back and watch the Bond episode you'll hear these in depth but one you don't need to build a giant huge miniature set in your bar room just to explain to a bunch of gangsters you're going to kill in two minutes what your entire master plan is. <laughs> the whole idea of that makes no sense. And it's not acceptable because there's a way to do it where it makes sense. They just don't bother. And thirdly, if you know what the plan is the whole time, it's not advisable to pretend you're asleep right until the moment they get the nuclear weapon into the thing. The time to take them is before they even get to Fort Knox in the first place, if you know what the plan is. So this idea that they're sleeping and pretending to be dead only until they have to act is for our benefit only. It's not for the benefit of any sort of story element that could possibly make sense. And that's just two of the things that are stupid about Goldfinger, which there are about nine more. So and there's that some of that, that in this, part... I won't lie. But... You're saying that part is for your eyes only. Oh my god! Ah, it is. I got to drop the dad joke. Nicely done. <laughs> I rate for your eyes only oh much higher god. than Goldfinger. But Dude. that aside, Force Ten is a favorite movie. It's got Han Solo and Indiana Jones in it. That helps. I've it got, really does help. And I've got two things to say about Force Ten from Navarone. One, well, three yeah. things. One, for years I hated that film. Yeah. Okay. Two. The only thing, the only scene in that that's remotely like it's see, it's pre the yeah, first it's, one right was when they setting the charges and they realize they ran out of time. This was like a great Alistair McLean moment when they yeah, both yeah. look at each other and says, "We're out of time." Twenty seconds. Well, it does give one less far to run, and they shake each other's hand. You think, yes. <laughs> and something that I found out. At 9.30 this morning, because I was watching both these films because I thought Ryan would nail this and I wanted to show off. I ah. thought Ryan would ask the question and I could say, I know the answer. Yeah. Okay. Who the chuff is Nikolai, right? Yeah. Uh. You know Nik and I actually watch, I know who Nikolai actually is. Tell me. The link between those two films. And the only yeah, because he says at the end, he says, you're the one that betrayed us in Greece. Yeah. And I always, and I've seen Force 10 30 times and every yeah. time i hear that i go what yeah. <laughs> i still don't get that so good explain it to me in the guns and Navarone, when everyone first gets together and they go in the room and talk about it and uh anthony quinn grabs the guy from who's behind the door mm -hmm. and they they say either shoot him or put or lock him up for a week that's nikolai it is so that's franco nero's character yeah between the two films yeah I did, was not going wow. to ask you that, and I've never been able to figure that out. I, I mean, I, I, I take it as I canon. I would have said, do you know what the link is? And I was going to go, oh, I know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> well done, Maz. Well done. Well, it's still... It's I still, found that out this morning. It's still I, Mallory and what's-his-face. It's the same two main characters. But, yeah, because so there's says to him, you two know him, don't you? And I thought, how? Why? why is, and then, it, yeah. It's well, and then why don't they recognize him? Because he's just so good in disguise. 
I don't know. We I mean, don't recognize them. It's cool. funny that I don't think anybody gets that. I think you have to watch them back to back and be asking yeah. yourself that question to even get there. And I've I never thought, done I was that. Thinking yep. this morning, and I thought, oh, what's, what is the link between these two movies? Because I, I don't like Ben from Navarone at all. Ideally, you can watch Guns of Navarone and then wait 17 years and watch Force 10 because... Force 10 really doesn't stand up. If you watch them back to back, it's completely unacceptable because it's just a a stupider, goofier movie. I have a feeling right when they were going to release Force 10 for Matherone, someone somewhere had the idea of sticking 10 seconds at the start of that movie with um, those two in German uniforms wet on on the bridge of a destroyer being handed a cup of coffee to try and make the link between the two movies. They show all this footage from Guns of Navarone, and then they they splice in the, our, the two characters we're about to spend time with, yeah. and they don't even do a good job of it. There's this, no. They could just... They both look super happy. Like It's just bad direction. Guy Hamilton's a... He's a, he's a sure-handed storyteller in a fun sort of way. Like, the film is accomplished visually and some other things, but he just... He's just never seen a... He's like Richard Lester is the other director like this. Just never seen a gag that he can't do 110%, and that that sinks any sort of reality of it. I still think it's fun, though. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. I really... I like Force 10 for, for a lot of things that are in it. In fact, I like it, it, it... In a way, I've seen it many more times than Guns, because Guns, I gotta sit down, I gotta make the popcorn, I gotta set aside three hours... I got to really give it its due when I watch it. Whereas Force 10, I can be playing Tetris. I can be, you know what I mean? I can be doing whatever. And here it is. And it's just, I know it by heart. And it, it comforts me. It's one of those films. So, But thank you for solving the Nikolai thing. Not just for me, for everybody. Because that's, it's, it's yeah, this the, moment where it's, it's, you can feel. This moment's supposed to land like a kaboom thing. Yeah. And it, and it just makes it you go, what? Yeah. What does so that, that would guy have to this... do with anything in Guns and yeah, Navarone? That would e- you figured it out. That would explain this uh, this line in the Wikipedia intro to Force 10 from Navarone. They're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Edward Fox and Harrison Ford succeeding the roles played by Gregory Peck and David Nevin. Uh, it was directed by Guy Hamilton. Also stars Carl Weathers, Barbara, Box, uh, Barbara Bach, Franco Nero, in a plastic surgery role previously played by Tuta Lemko and Richard Keel. So it's like, and I'm like, what? I, I, I remember looking at this sentence going, what the hell does that even mean? A plastic surgery role previously played by Tuta Lemko. And it, that it's making that it's making that connection without, without explicitly saying so. There's a great scene. It's when they're captured by the, by the bad guys where, they it, this and this is there's a lot of this in where eagles dare where ed fox and robert shaw just start making stuff up and harrison ford plays along and nobody knows what anyone's going to say next yeah. but it's this if you're an improv fan it's this improv comedy routine that they do for the benefit of this german guy and <laughs> in a worse movie the german guy would be colonel clink and he'd be he'd be fooled by all of it but at the end of this giant thing mm-hmm. he's like yeah, uh, you know and then you can confirm everything with your people. And, and Michael Byrne, who I really do like a lot, he's like, oh, yes, we'll certainly confirm your story. <laughs> you can just tell he's, the other people are all confused, but he's like, 
you guys are so full of shit. And it, it's just a fun <laughs> thing, you know. You, yeah, I, we know you're lying, and you know we know you're lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's enjoyable. If he turned, it would have been great if he turned to the camera and would have gone, never run! <laughs> All right, we'll end it there. You tend to jump out of a burning, a burning Lancaster bomber with a suitcase full of penicillin and then bury it in wood. <laughs> well, but even that, and he refuses yeah. to open it, and they're arguing yeah. with oh, each other. Can't, it can't be exposed to air. Yeah. Well, penicillin was a new thing at the time, yeah. you guys. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know. The Germans had never heard of it. So who knows what it is? Oh, it's so it's funny. It's, it's amusing to me. Uh, Secrets of moldy cheese. And again, Barbara <laughs> Bach seems to know. You guys are all idiots and you're in a stupid movie and I'm going to hold down the fort while I'm on the screen. Like mm-hmm. she just, this is serious. Like, like she did in the Bond movie she was in, actually. Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> And exactly. she was like that. She was also like that in the um, fantastic movie Caveman with yes. her husband, Ringo Starr. Indeed. Um, any chance I get to bring up Caveman. Brian, Force 10 from Navarone, man. You have been pretty quiet over there. Yeah, I've been pretty quiet because this is, like Maz, this is one of the films that when I saw it on the list, I was like, ugh. Well, it's only (laughs) here because Guns is (laughs) here, and when the hell else are we going to talk about it? And that was it. I knew it was Guns' sequel. Um, Like I never made the connection until Maz cleared it up. Thank you. Uh, But the, the entire time that I looked at the list, I was like, I make that the last film I watch. <laughs> That'll be the lullaby of the yeah. list here. Yeah. It's just, it's hard for me. You know, like I, I really want to get into a story. I want to get into the, yeah. the characters and uh, there's something about that film. It's got a it's dinner together. party yeah. tone to it where it really right. just doesn't let you mm-hmm. get involved. Yeah. Even though there's some harsh moments and some sacrifice in it. Yeah. And I get why you love it. I get it. It's fun. So you can watch it for me. All right, I'll do that once a year, baby. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So uh, we, you know, so these are the movies that we watched uh, would watch uh, specifically. I mean, it, it was these were the afternoon, uh, weekend afternoon movies. Uh, you know, like killing time before the Muppet Show comes on on uh, Sunday <laughs> afternoons when there's no afternoon football game or on a rainy Saturday afternoon and you you can't go outside and play and so uh, but your dad has control of uh, of the TV <laughs> channels and there were only five TV channels at yes. the time um, and so you know like he's like ah we're watching Guns and Navarone this is on and we're watching it it's great you're gonna love it sit down you're gonna love it I remember that about my dad saying oh just sit down you're gonna love this <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna love this movie and you're like okay okay well sure i guess i'll watch it and then my dad would inevitably fall asleep (laughs) but you still couldn't change the channel because because he would know Uh uh-huh yeah and he'd do that he'd do the (sighs) i was watching Uh, that uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah uh, my dad used to yep i I was was watching watching that that. Yep. Dad movies, um, guys. We got to do it again sometime. Yes, we Definitely. absolutely. One of Brian's dad's favorite movies, just to know that it's not all, you know, automatic machine guns and stuff, is The Birdcage, which is one of my favorite movies, too. Yes. Oh, I love that film. So there's yeah. there's other things we can talk about that aren't quite so manly and masculine as this that that I think will be genuinely <laughs> fun. But this felt like a good place to start. It's obviously there's some enthusiasm about these types of stories here, so that's cool. Well, excellent. Yeah. Well, yeah. We uh, we cannot thank you, uh, Maz and Brian, enough for uh, oh, for welcome. joining us. The light. Thank yeah, you yeah, for the definitely. invitation. I love this. 
Um, and uh, and for hey, for those of you who are watching, that means this a lot video, coming from a guy who makes a video blog like literally every day. <laughs> I have it's it's more all that work is done by the fantastic Dana Dalval. It's I, true. I just didn't speak. We, Dana yeah, puts all that together. and we want to yeah. just before we close things out, we want to make sure we mention her and her awesome work and just her awesomeness. She is Dana. one of our favorite people that uh, Ryan and I have ever had the pleasure to know. And I'm guessing, Maz, you probably like her uh, like her a lot, too. She is one of the most favorite people I've ever met, actually. <laughs> yeah, I bet. No doubt. I bet. Um, but, uh, yeah, we we um, are so thankful that uh, that you guys came on. Um, for those of you who watch uh, are watching the video version of this podcast, you're going to actually witness Brian do some good dad work. Um, yeah. in this, yeah. uh, <laughs> Ollie and Elliot came, uh, coming in and, oh. uh, making some, uh, making, taking dad away from the war. Yeah. 10 <laughs> seconds. Let me, let me really quick tell you exactly what had happened. The boys were upset. Elliot couldn't find his shoes for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, when he came back in, he was upset and crying because Oliver took his iPad away. And then Oliver comes by and goes, with his gloves on, he just holds up his finger like this. I'm like, what, what happened? And he's like, he cut the tip off my glove. I'm just like, all right. Okay, you, Oliver, wait out there. Elliot, you wait over here in the chair. That is fantastic. And this is what, you know, and um, all the more. Brian, wait to. Way to you know what? Way to way to uh, uh, way to take fight, the risk. Way to way fight, to the fight through. Yeah, way to fight that. You know, it's like sometimes you do just gotta leave your you know let the kids be kids for a couple hours, and <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> some gloves are gonna lose some tips, but that's the price you gotta pay. Yeah, yeah. I'd Brian, like to thank Brian, my when they graduate college and move <laughs> to the West Coast, it gets so much easier. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh. believe you, Maz, because I'm still waiting for that point. <laughs> I got another, yeah. let's see, 10, 12 <laughs> years. Baby. Yeah. All right. Um, oh boy. All right, gentlemen. Uh, thank you all so much. And thank you, dear listener, for uh for joining us um on the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Of course, you can reach out to us on the Facebook page, the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Like us there. Uh Instagram, TikTok, uh, uh Twitter at Ask Joel and Ryan. And you can email us. Ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. Um, what movies did you watch with your dad? Do you want to, you know, tell us what you watched with your parents? Or maybe, heck, maybe we could even uh, do what movies did you watch with your mom? If that was something that you did. That'd be um, cool to so, hear. All right. That would be great. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining us this week. And until next time, bye now. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. Joel, you didn't get hey, to use hey. your machine guns. Why don't you play? I was just going to press it. Nice.
All righty. Eastwood finally running out of bullets. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>